There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's talk a little bit about sex. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) Tom, what's the weirdest... (laughs) Place <laughs> you've had sex, uh, in the middle of the, like in the middle of the bush, like somewhere like off the beaten track <laughs> the, in the bush. I mean, come on, bush. Harris, it's been ten <laughs> seconds and you already uh, <laughs> that springs to mind. Um, weirdest, I don't know. You obviously you do have do you have one? Uh on a child's playground in a park down the road from my parents. Oh house. yes, yes, I've just remembered. <laughs> yes, at my um, I, I, at my primary school, I did. Oh, yes, your primary school. Not, like years on, As I was an adult. yes, right. Um, okay, cool. Because I Glad lived near we clarified. It, That's important. It was on a weekend, and there was no. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Hmm. Were you caught? No, no, no. I um, was. Oh, <laughs> on the, the child's playground by the police. Oh, by the police. <laughs> they, they, yeah. We 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 stopped. We just sat on the edge of like, what are you guys doing? We're just like talking. <laughs> yeah, you need to go home. <laughs> Well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sorry, mum. You'll never, you'll never take my nephew to that playground again. <laughs> I too would like to apologise to my mother. Good lord. Look, the reason why I'm talking about sex today is because our guest today is a sex positive journalist and media commentator. She's all about empowering women in their sex lives. She's been the queen of TMI, writing columns for Washington Post, Huff Post, Thought Catalog. She's been on TV. There's some credentials. She talks behind a lot. This one. She's got she some talks weight. a lot about sex, and she's not afraid to. So we're speaking to Nadia Bacodi today. Nadia, hello. How are you? I'm well, and I'm excited to be here. That is great. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming on to tell your story on Ghosts of Boyfriends Past. That is the podcast you are listening to. I am Liz Best. And, and still Tom Harris. Still you know Tom the Harris. Deal. And Nadia, you've been talking about sex and writing about sex for quite a long time. What made you start getting into that? Oh, well, I just, I've always been someone that's been very like no concept of TMI, which is too much information for the non-millennials out there. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so I just was writing openly about my life and then uh, I went through a marriage breakdown and had what I now lovingly refer to as my hoe phase. Your hoe phase. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I wrote about it and people loved it. Um, people wanted more and I found it really cathartic writing about it. So I kept writing and I kind of just, grew from there. I mean, I've always had a passion for um, just learning more about sexuality and sex. And um, I think just like the whole journey I went on really um, taught me that as sort of corny as it sounds, that sexual empowerment is about so much more than just having a few orgasms. So yeah, it kind of led me to become really actually massively passionate about it. And now it's like my number one sort of focus area. Now you're literally making a career from talking about sex. Yes, 
Yes, I am. That's, <laughs> I that's, can't complain. That's a pretty great career. Sign a, me up. It's probably yeah. it's probably about time because, <laughs> like, how long of humanity have we had this view of sex that's just it like this vanilla one? Like, there's only one way to do it. You know, you know. Do you do you think that? Um, We've had this a, a wrong view of sex for too long, or a warped view of sex for too long, Nadia. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we've ever sort of been able to really have um, a holistic view of sex, and more specifically, female sexuality and how pleasure works um, for women, because uh, sex ed is really quite crap. It's it's not very good. It's not comprehensive. It doesn't address. Um, issues like consent, it doesn't address is- issues like pleasure. You know, I always say we we acknowledge in sex ed that boys experience pleasure. You know, we learn about erections and wet dreams. Everyone remembers being in that PDHCA class where you giggled because your teacher had to say the word erection. Yes, <laughs> you know, we, we, we knew that boys wanked and all of that, but for girls, uh, sex ed was doom and gloom. We learned that our bodies delivered us the horror of painful periods and unwanted pregnancies. So pleasure wasn't really on the list for us, um, which means it's, it's very unsurprising to me that the statistics around this are that up to 70% of young women are either in discomfort or physical pain when they're having sex. And that makes perfect sense when you consider the fact that no one actually took the time to teach girls or boys uh, what healthy sexual pleasure should feel like. And, my work is aimed at undoing that. That is an amazing goal to have, I guess, because so many people have no idea, even as adults. I still, like when I was doing um, my relationship columns, I'd get people asking me questions about sex that they should have learnt when they were teenagers. So <laughs> I applaud what you do. So Nadia, let's rewind a little bit. Let's talk about your story, the start of your hoe phase, as you called it. Um, and your marriage <laughs> and your marriage breakdown. How so so let's start from the very beginning. Okay. Well, I, I think the thing that I think so many young women do and so many of us have been conditioned to do because we don't really get presented there being any alternate options, which is I fell in love with a boy and I got married and, you know, started planning a future with him. That seemed like the logical thing to do. And then it sort of became more obvious as time went on that marriage was not um it was not suited to me at all i was miserable and i was in turn making my husband who i to this day cannot say a bad word about he's a fantastic guy um but i was in turn making him miserable because i was so clearly miserable and you know we tried to sort of suffer on and make it work um like i say it was no fault of my husband's it's just the whole thing was just so ill-fitted to me and i thought I felt like I was trapped because I felt like it was the only option for me as a woman and I would be such a failure to come out and admit that it hadn't worked out. And I still remember vividly my mum was the last person I told that my marriage broke down after a good seven years of giving it a red-hot go. Um, And I was so nervous to tell my mum. I met her at a bar. I was pouring the wine very generously as I was telling because I felt like I had failed her. I felt like I'd failed my family. I felt like I'd failed my friends. You know, when you have a wedding, you invite every person you've ever met in your life to sort of smugly rub your newfound love in their faces. <laughs> like, look at me and my great, fantastic love. And um, 
making, you know, people spend all this money on your wedding and it feels like a kind of humiliation. So it was really hard for me to sort of admit that. Um, How did your mum react? It was my mum's reaction, actually, that oddly enough kind of allowed me, gave me the sort of, I guess, confidence to go out and begin my whole phase not that she necessarily encouraged that <laughs> you, your mum was just like Nadia I think you need a bit of a hoe phase darling <laughs> me and your father have been talking and we think we think it's really best if you just go out and hoe down um Nadia that rings that sort of I, I sort of sympathize with that view of marriage um because marriage has such a fail rate anyway if it was a university subject you would have to like repeat at summer school. Yeah. Um, so it's already like it, it. It seems to be a pretty I don't know shitty foundation to build a to build a to build on. Um, so you must, but I and I totally understand that you ha- you have all these friends and everyone uh, together gathered together to see you you know um, march down the aisle and then to go to give it a good hot go and then eventually you have to, you have you you have to come out and say no it it can't work it won't work. Um, so I, I I I do I do understand that. Um, so the hoe phase, can we um? Quick, let's get to the hoe part. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah. I'm just on your note. Just a quick note about that with marriage, which I think is important to keep in mind, is that when marriage first became like a thing, like a social construct, mm. people weren't living very long. You know, people were dying in their forties. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. like the average lifespan. So, till death do us part wasn't so much of a hard slog. Now we're waiting around looking at our watches like, when are you bl- going to bloody hurry up and die <laughs> <laughs> And I reckon, yeah, so, we're, now, we're now living forever. And I think in your life, you, you sort of change uh, your person. You sort of become a different person every so often. So you change. Forever is a fucking long time when you're changing your personality yeah, every right. couple of decades. <laughs> and, your, and your partner's also changing and warping. So you yeah. become different people. And, yeah, it's for, for, for a marriage to last like 50 years now, I don't know. It's it's pretty um, – that must be rare. I don't know the stats. Um, maybe you do. And, and, that's, and that's what I sort of try to focus on. The way I look at my marriage now is actually that um, I don't see it as a failure. I see it as a success. I think we have this idea that if a relationship breaks up, the whole relationship is – and anything good about it is null and void and it wasn't a success. But – the fact that you lasted 10 or 20 years with someone and made that work, that to me is a success. Just because you didn't make it to your literal grave together shouldn't mean it's not a success. Exactly. But you had yeah, seven yeah. years of, of marriage that, and you're still, you know, singing this guy's praises. So I'd call that pretty successful. Yeah, and, and I think that's the thing that we need to sort of reframe. And it was actually refreshing having that discussion with my mum because we sort of almost, she was very respectful about my uh, sort of experiences. She basically said, well, you know, look, I'm a traditionalist. I am very conservative. I do believe in, you know, marriage being a forever thing. But I also believe that your life is not, um, it's not up to me to make decisions about what you do with your life. And mm. realistically, you know, you're only going into your early 30s now. You're super young. You have a ton of life ahead of you. And there's no point spending that miserable just because out of fear that you might look bad to a few people. Like, you need to go out and, and live your life regardless of whether that's the exact way that I or anyone else would do it. And that really, for me, was a bit of a wake-up call that I had been kind of living my life on other people's terms. Not that anyone had ever forced me to, but it was sort of an unspoken thing. 
And so from there, that was when I began my whole phase. I started going on, um, you know, all of the dating apps and I, I had been dating a few different guys. I'd had sort of just one, one off sort of dates with a few guys. Um, and then I, I was sitting in work one day, actually, in the office next to a really close girlfriend who used to work in the cubicle opposite me. And mm-hmm. uh, I had tears in my eyes and she turned to me and said, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And I said, well, this is a bit embarrassing, but actually... Uh, I'm really sexually frustrated. I feel like I'm I'm so sexually frustrated that I'm going to burst into tears. <laughs> I've never I've never experienced this level of sexual frustration before. Um, because I, as my marriage was breaking down, as happens with so many people, you know, I hadn't we hadn't had sex for a long, long, long time. Yeah. And so I had I had started dating guys on Tinder, but it was sort of you know first date kind of stuff, nothing too sort of racy. Sure. And my friends. My friend said to me, she said, and she was quite a bit younger than me as well, so she was a bit more up on the modern lingo, and she said, well, why don't you just text up one of these guys that you've, you know, met on Tinder and ask him if he's DTF? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Tom, what? Tom's, Tom's like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I, I didn't know what DTF meant either, but it means down to roll around in the hay, so to speak. You can swear your um, ass off on this podcast, Nadia. Okay, Okay, good. Well, it means down to fuck. <laughs> yeah. Down to um, fuck. Okay. Yeah. Are you yes. so, so it's a it's a question. Are you down to fuck? So it should be a yeah, it should be a question mark. Yeah, DTF question mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so she said to me, "Why don't you just text one of them?" And I'm I was like, "Really? Like I can do that? Wouldn't that seem a little weird?" And she's like, "Babe, guys do this all the time. Like, why can't we turn the tables and do it ourselves?" Exactly. And I was like I. I guess you are kind of at a point, you know, and I was pretty like emotional at that point. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, when do I do it? How do I do it? And she was like, look, it's Friday afternoon. We actually had a, a girl's night um, in the city for that night. And we'd booked a hotel in the city. It was still a few hours until work was due to finish for the day. And she said, look, I'll cover for you at work. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, boy. Just slip out. Uh, if anyone asks, I'll tell them you weren't feeling well or whatever. Go to the hotel. Like, it's ready to check into. Tell this guy you'll meet him at the hotel. And um, you guys can have it for a couple of hours till us girls get there from work. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> like, this is, has to this be illegal. Guy, <laughs> this guy could be like the next Ted Bundy, you know. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like. I don't want to get raped or murdered. And she was like, babe, like, you're overthinking this. You've watched way too many, like, Netflix true crime documentaries, <laughs> you know. Seriously, it's fine. Um, and I ended up making her agree. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, let's come up with a backup plan just in case he turns out to be, you know, a weirdo. And so I was like, look, I will text you guys within an hour of me getting at the hotel if I don't then you guys call the police or just, like, burst into the room or something. And she was like, fine, but you'll be fine, you know. So I messaged this guy, and he couldn't reply fast enough. He was basically <laughs> like, I'm on my way. So he must have also faked being sick at work because it was, like, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, or he was and, unemployed and you just had no idea. Well, maybe. I mean, <laughs> but he did show up in he did show up in work clothes. Oh, I mean, fancy. Seen, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, uh, you know, I when we he got there, I sort of was like, I you know, I'm sorry if that all sounded a bit weird. I just didn't really know how to say it. And he's like, are you kidding? That was like one of the best text messages I got in my life. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I can't see much room for complaint in that, in that, in that regard. Wow. So you meet uh, so at the hotel and it's just it, all fine and... Were you done before the girls got there? Well, so 
so what happened was obviously we were sort of talking and stuff because I was a bit nervous and then we kind of just awkwardly cut to the sex I was like should we just like cut out the small talk and like start the sex <laughs> um and we I I genuinely was concerned that I scared him because I hadn't had sex in about a year at that point and I was really full on it was like you know that scene in The Exorcist where like her head spins around <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nadia, that's attractive. <laughs> yeah, so I was like all of the sexual energy coming out of me and so I was like screaming like, no, go harder, go harder. And I, at one point the entire bed was violently shaking and I Good. was still screaming like, harder, harder, go harder. And I think the guy was like, this is as hard as it can. <laughs> <laughs> it is not physically possible to go harder. Yeah, ease up, my heart's about to give up. <laughs> Exactly. And then, of course, in the middle, my phone starts ringing and I was like, who the fuck is calling me? And they're like, oh my God, it's my girlfriend. I pick up my phone and it's my friend saying, I've texted you like 18 times and you didn't reply. We are just about to burst into the room. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, don't. Like, I was like, everything's okay. Like, we're kind of getting busy right now. And she's like, good, okay, like, we'll come up like in a little bit. So we finished having sex and at the end, we were just kind of like, sitting up on the edge of the bed, putting our clothes back on, and I burst into tears. And oh, I don't mean, like, a few tears. Oh, no. I mean, like, hysterical. Like, you know when you're having that really crazy, hysterical yes. sob where no one yes, can I make do. out what you're saying? Yeah. An ugly right. cry. Yeah. <laughs> the ugly cry. And so, of course, this poor guy who I've basically invited into a hardcore <laughs> porno in a random hotel room, um, who's already, like, so, you know, disorientated by this whole experience says to me oh my god did I hurt you oh no you know because I had been like wanting it really and he's like I thought you wanted it like really rough but did I hurt you and I was like no 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 you didn't hurt me and he's like well why are you crying and I'm like well it's good tears and he was like how can it be good tears and I was like I I can't explain it just please know you didn't hurt me and everything's okay. And he sort of seemed a bit freaked out. And then it was pretty much at that moment my girlfriend's arrived and I was like, oh, my God, put your clothes on. My girlfriend's here. And he was like, what? You didn't tell me people were coming up. <laughs> oh, yeah. You forgot to I mention did- that part. Yeah. I was like, we kind of have this booked for a girl's night tonight, so you kind of leave- need to leave now. So he left. My girlfriend saw him leave and they're like, oh, hello. <laughs> nice to see you. You know, they were doing the whole, like, thing that you would expect your friends to do. And they were like, well, how was it? And I started crying again. And they were like, oh, my God. Like, do you need us to, like, go and chop his dick off? Do you hurt you? Oh, like, no. Yeah, like, they no, were really it was worried. just so good. Oh, God. Yeah. So, um, so I said to them, I said to them, no, no, no. It, like, it's, it's, good, it's good crying. And, and my friend was like, oh, was he, like, that good in bed, was he? And I said, actually, no. In terms of, all, like, all the men I've slept with, he was very average, if not slightly below average. The reason I was crying was because it was like I bottled so much up in me from that last year of my marriage and it was so much more than just sexual repression. It was just, I, it's hard to explain, but it was like a release. It was that feeling it's of just being, being authentic. and, yeah, having a vulnerable having moment. That, yeah, and also just I was so forward in asking for things I want and getting quite kinky and all of that and, I'd never really done that with my husband because I loved my husband and I always worried about, like, what would he think of that and was that the role for me as a wife? I saw it more as it was about his pleasure 
not that he had ever made me feel that he had never said anything verbally, but that was sort of like the messages that I had gotten growing up. It's a about social him. construct for yeah, sure. I understand yeah. that. I understand that as well because it, it there is something wrong with that. Um, being able to being able to ask for what you want from a stranger more willingly than. Um, from someone you love and care about deeply. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's that's pretty warped. Um, sorry, Nadia, go on. Well, no, that, I think that was the thing. It was the fact that this guy was a total stranger who I was never going to set eyes on ever again. And so I just didn't give a shit what he thought about me. And I was able to actually really release something that I had did not even realise was kept inside me. And that's why I was sobbing violently because it was like, it was more of an emotional release, to be honest, than a sexual mm, release. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of that point that spurred the whole uh, ho phase, as I, I now lovingly call it, um, <laughs> because I realized that there was something in this whole concept of sleeping with a stranger and being able to sort of open up and, and, and ask for things, you know, that I'd seen to worry what that sort of said about me as a woman in the past. And so, yeah, I kind of went from there just, um, on a bit of a sex spree as I think a lot of women do also coming out of a relationship. It's not really talked about a lot because of slut shaming, but I mean, the majority of women I know have had a similar type of phase coming out of a relationship where they just went out and had a bunch of sex. Best way to get over someone is yeah. to get under someone. That's <laughs> what I always say. Exactly right. So, so Nadia, yeah, I, just... In terms of, of going out and, and uh, you know, asking random things of random strangers, I believe you once uh, travelled a fair distance to ask a stranger to do naughty things to you. I did. And, you know, I did so many crazy things. I've, I've obviously written about it online. Um, I I met a, a backpacker online um, who he was, like, so much younger than me, like 22, um, and he was in the middle of traveling around Australia. Um, and we started talking and he said, well, I'll be at Sydney. Um, I'll be in Sydney in a couple of months so we can meet then. And we'd been sort of talking for a few weeks and I was starting to really kind of like, you know, want to see him much sooner. Yep. And he thought he joked to me over message one day. He said, um, oh, I should just, uh, uh, he was saying to me like that I should just, suck a fake sick day and, and fly out to see him. <laughs> and um, I kind of laughed back and then got off the phone and then I was like, you know what? I actually <laughs> should do that. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I I went on online and bought tickets and then I, um, I flew up and randomly saw the guy. Um, and, of course, it was a complete disappointment. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting from a, a 22-year-old backpacker. <laughs> <laughs> But you did it, and that's the thing. Like, you, you were just like, you know what, fuck it, and did it anyway. Yeah, and again, it, it, it's funny because it, it was also more of an emotional thing than a sexual thing because in that particular instance, and this is crazy, but I've been so codependent my whole life in all my relationships and so addicted to being in relationships that I realized I had never actually gotten on a plane and taken a flight on my own. So flying from Sydney wow. to the Gold Coast to see this guy was actually like a weird little personal achievement for me to do something independently. And I sort of thought, even if this guy turns out to be a dud, I'm really glad I did this. Like, I just, I'm pushing myself out of my comfort zone because I'd just been so codependent and so addicted to always having a relationship and having someone be there for me that I'd, I'd never allowed to just really let myself be independent like that. So... 
It's like a yeah, little I adult mean, a rite of, of passage. It was. It totally was. Um, but yeah, I did all sorts of crazy things. You know, I wrote another column about having seven one-night stands in seven days, which ended up going crazy viral because apparently that's a really unusual thing for a woman to do, um, which... Liz, as a woman yourself, you know it's not that unusual. It isn't. People just don't talk about it, I guess. Yes. I was like, maybe you haven't done exactly seven in seven, but all the women I know have gone through phases where they've had a whole kind of casual sex. It's just that women don't talk about it because of the slut shaming, which, by the way, is exactly what I got when the column went viral. Of course you did. I'm I'm sorry, Nadia. All sorts of studious stuff. I think it's a shame that women can't just own that because, oh God, if guys were talking about going out and doing that, they'd be like, yeah, fucking hero, mate. Like, it's just, it's bullshit that we can't own our sexuality in that way. And I guess that's why, kind of why I love what you do because you're kind of teaching women to own the fact that, yeah, they can go out and do that. They can ask for what they want and they can, you know, have sex and it's not having sex like a man. It's having sex like a human and teaching people that that's what that is. I think it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we just need so much more education around it. And the fact that I do still encounter so much slut shaming, even today, you know, we're basically in 2020 and I still encounter so much of it. Um, and just so many ignorant misconceptions about people saying, I must have a stretched out vagina like a wizard's sleeve and I must be riddled with STDs. You know, people having no understanding of how, you know, condoms work and how vaginas work and things like that. So um, to me, that is more reason for me to kind of keep doing what I do and just uh, allowing men to see that women really aren't that, we're not that different from men as perhaps we've led men to believe. We have pretty much all the same core desires. They might, you know, manifest differently, but we have the same need. We get hungry, we get horny, you know, and we we treat it like women women don't. We treat it like women exchange sex for monogamy. And as soon as we have monogamy, we're no longer interested in sex. And that's just not true. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it's so great that not only are we talk, you talking about this out loud, but you're kind of trying to advocate even for more kinds of sex ed from a much younger age so that people grow up with healthier attitudes towards sex. Absolutely. I mean, my kind of um, push is that I would ideally love to see masturbation acknowledged as a topic in sex ed. Absolutely. Um, So that girls can have a safe space, you know, in the privacy of their bedroom without coercion or pressure or anything to just understand their bodies and not have, not be so disconnected from their own bodies so that they can actually speak up when they have a partnered sexual experience. That's yeah. um that's 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 so true because I remember when I went through sex education in well, I don't know early the early two thousands and 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 you're right um it, it's very male centric and and my perspective as as a man was we, we sort of got passed uh, passed around this um like a a little model of a vagina and that's it and then you know move on and there's not much there's no discussion or I don't know any any meaningful deeper deeper talk about um, exactly what we're talking about today. So I really I really admire the, um, and and love how that you come out swinging and say no, this is this is all good. Um, it's sex is natural and we should all enjoy it and and understand it more. Um, but I still like Nadia. I remember when you went on. You went on TV to, to say that about uh, the masturbation should be taught in schools, didn't you? 
Yes, so yeah, I did. I, and I still remember that there was outrage and I could not believe that there was still people arguing that this was not a thing that should be taught. I mean, I was getting death threats on Twitter and I, people were calling me a pedophile. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is ridiculous because the idea, I guess, is that because I was talking about young people masturbating, that obviously means I'm a pervert. I think people had sort of twisted it uh, to say as though I was suggesting... Um, a sex worker come into the classroom and actually demonstrate masturbation. All I was saying is that it, it needs to be acknowledged. And one of the biggest arguments that people put up was, well, that's just ridiculous. Kids instinctively know how to masturbate. We don't need someone teaching them how. But the, the reality is actually boys know how to masturbate because it's encouraged for boys. Girls don't. And if you actually look at the research around it, young girls have partnered sex, letting a boy enter their body and penetrate them. Uh, anywhere up to for two or three years before they will touch their own vagina and clitoris. Wow. So to say that it comes instinctively for girls, it doesn't. A girl would rather have another person enter her body than she would touch her own vagina because we've created so much shame and so much stigma around the female anatomy. Even when I was a young girl, I was told, don't say the word vagina, that's a dirty word. It's your private part. Yeah. So I thought vagina was a swear word. Yeah, I'm um, not about so, I'm not about teaching kids. Oh, it's your hoo ha, or it's your you know, like t- say it what it is, you know. Yeah, and so you know, another interesting sort of uh, consequence of that, which is obviously quite disturbing, is that when they've actually uh, done surveys, getting women, like adult women, to label the vaginal anatomy. Um, they're overwhelmingly incorrect. Like not a small portion, the vast majority cannot accurately label their own genital anatomy um, and then you know it's like I say what I was saying earlier it's, it's not particularly surprising then that women on the whole are having either uncomfortable or painful sex yeah. and they're saying nothing about it I mean if you just look at our medical system I've got endometriosis and the average amount of time it takes to get a diagnosis of endometriosis is seven years that's not yes. something I'm making yep. up pulling out of my ass that's an yeah. actual statistic now if you go on to um, PubMed and look up uh, medical articles on erectile dysfunction you'll find around 25,000 articles on how to get a boner but it's going to take you seven years to get a doctor to acknowledge that you're having painful sex caused by endometriosis and get you the help you so sorely need. Yeah. There's actually only, PubMed only has something like 4,000 articles on female sexual pain. So it's got more than five times that amount on getting a bone on. So to say that, oh, women should just, you know, men get angry at me all the time and they say, oh, you're putting this all on men. You know, it's on women. Women need to speak up. And I say, well, yes, I do agree and I do encourage women to speak up. But you need to keep in mind that we have literally been conditioned our entire lives since birth to deprioritize not just our pleasure, but our basic human level of comfort. Like, I'm sure, Liz, you've got tons of girlfriends and have had experiences yourself where doctors have totally dismissed your pain because you're a woman and you're just a winter. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, not only that, I I remember going out drinking when I was probably in my early 20s. I don't know why we started talking about genitals, but you know, as you do after a few drinks. Sometimes they come up. Um, (laughs) And over half of the group that I was with, and there were about nine or ten of us, um, had never looked at their own vaginas in a mirror had never looked down there at what they actually look like. Had never seen their own parts. Yeah. Which and I would me. believe that it 
it's disturbing, but at the same time, it makes total sense when you've been raised to believe that a part of your body is dirty. Yeah, yeah. it's all forbidden. And it's, yeah, shameful. It's yeah. You know, don't you touch it. Don't let other people touch it. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it's, there's so much that we need to undo. And the more guys there are that are, you know, willing to be a bit more open-minded about it and not get so defensive because so many men get really defensive on this and say, it feels like you're just blaming men. No, I'm not blaming men. You guys have been given the short end of the stick too. No one told you how to pleasure a woman either. Like the reason you're giving crap sex is because you're using porn as your tool because school and your parents didn't teach you. So I get that, you know, I'm pro-porn. I love, I consume probably more porn in my relationship than my boyfriend does. But porn is a terrible teacher. It's the same thing as we don't learn about healthy romantic relationships from watching Hollywood movies. No one's expecting Ryan Gosling from The Notebook to be an actual real-life boyfriend. He's no, actually kind of a little bit manipulative in The Notebook, so And he's kind of toxic as well when you look at that movie. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's Nadia- actually quite creepy. So, Nadia, I think you've kind of given us already – normally this is the part in the podcast where we talked about what you've learned, and I feel like you've already given yes. us a, a fairly large rundown on what you've learned. So I'm going to turn it over to Tom. After listening to Nadia's story and um, her experiences and all the statistics, what have you learned today? I suppose the the lesson for me is – like, well, not, not so much for me, but for men, I suppose, is what's the problem with – like your girlfriend or your your future wife, whatever, um, being like being happy and like sec, like sec more sexually safe and and um, uh, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard for me to articulate, and I apologize for stammering through this, Nadia. Um, like I want my girlfriend to be able to show me what I can do to make her feel good. Like, isn't that a good thing for me and her? Um, so it's so don't. I don't know. Maybe society. Maybe it's society. Just um needs to chill out a bit. I don't know. It's a, yeah. it's hard to hard to hard hard for me to articulate. Look for me. I think, and it's something that I have known for a long time. Um, but I think what I hope that people learn from this is that it's okay to ask for what you want, whether you're male or female. And I think that we should stop treating sex like if women ask for sex, that they're having sex like a man. As I said, like I think it's a human desire. And I think we need to realise, as Nadia was saying, that we're actually incredibly similar Mm. in terms of desires and wants and needs. And that that needs to be redressed at a younger age in teaching people that it's okay to be horny and it's okay to you know want your desires fulfilled and that's not that doesn't make you a slut and that doesn't make you worthy of death threats just because you want yes, you know no definitely not and i think actually i i do actually have something to add on to that in terms Great. of what i've learned because the greatest lesson that i've learned and that i hope everyone listening to this takes from it today is Ironically, I started that journey sort of thinking that this was going to be about me learning to have better sex and, yes, learning to work out what I liked because I think like probably most of the women listening when I started out, I didn't know what the fuck I liked. I had no idea because I'd never bothered to explore it. So I thought it was going to be about that and it definitely was about that but something that came from it that I never could have imagined and is the reason why I've now dedicated my career to this is because... Once I was able to speak up for myself in the bedroom at my most primal, vulnerable, exposed, you know, you're literally naked staring down the barrel of a penis, um, (laughs) then it was so easy for me to walk into work and ask for that pay rise that I've been 
you know, deserving for the last two years. It was so easy for me to ask for so many things in so many other areas of my life, not let a man interrupt me in a meeting and speak over me and act like my point of view was less worthy, you know, ask for promotions when I was worthy of them, go for jobs that I was deserving of, go after things in my career that I'd always wanted, but, you know, in the back of my mind thought, oh, I can't ask for this, like, you know, who am I to ask for this? I'd look silly asking for this. Because once you can ask for something, at your that's Most the hardest place yeah. you'll ever do it. You are so exposed. And so vulnerable. And if you can ace speaking up for yourself in the bedroom, you can do it in the boardroom. And now I speak up for myself in every aspect of my life. And people say to me, oh, Nadia, I wish I had your confidence. You're just so lucky that you're a confident person. But the truth is, if you met me five years ago, pre my marriage split, I was not this person at all. It's come through my journey of sexual empowerment that I learned that speaking up for yourself in the bedroom, that's just the start. True equality true gender equality begins in the bedroom. That's where where everything is stripped back. All the social crap, crap, the conditioning, everything. It's just you and your partner stark naked. Nadia, I would read that book. You need to write that book. (laughs) You say if you can, it's going to be called If You Can Ask For It In The Bedroom, You Can Ask For It In The Boardroom, A Guide To Not Sex In The Boardroom. But yeah, I think think that that is something... if that's your if thing, that's you know, your thing. I don't think <laughs> <shame>. <laughs> so look thank you so much for coming in and speaking to us Nadia it has been truly illuminating uh, listeners if you want to hear more about Nadia's uh, hoe phase you can find her eight part series uh, how to find love after divorce on mamamia.com.au uh, stories like uh, my date mauled my face like a Labrador and then became creepy and immediately after we had sex he gave a six word excuse to leave there's eight parts worth of this story it's it's incredibly entertaining reading Nadia thank you so much for making time for us and I'm so glad that we have someone like you in the world advocating for female sex positivity male sex positivity just sex positivity in general yeah let the mature sexual revolution begin like we had one in the 60s let's, let's do it just again have, let's do it again but educate <laughs> Thank you guys for what you're doing. I think the work you're doing is really contributing to that. I think it's the more we just discuss these topics um, and get them out in the open, the less people feel alone. So so often people think they're weird or they're a pervert. You just need to hear other people's stories to realize that actually you're normal, there's nothing wrong with you, and it's okay to talk about this stuff. So I think what you guys are doing is great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. We want you to feel like you've got – a bunch of people who listen to your story and there's a bunch of people listening who'll identify with you. So it's all about catharsis and sharing and realising that we're all a bit weird yeah. and that's fine. You're not the only one on this blue marble feel that feels awkward or insecure. Um, we're all in this together. Um, so Nadia, thank you so much. Um, I've definitely, you've definitely given me things to think about and that's important. I think people, everyone listening at home, um, anywhere on the gender spectrum will feel the same way. Um, so, so wonderful, very good. All right, I have been. Sorry, sorry. No, I've got to do the. I keep forgetting to do the social media thing. So, if you want to find us, if you want to submit your own story, you can go to that'snotcanon.com forward slash ghosts of boyfriends past. We've got a really easy form for you to fill out. Um, and don't fret if you're not in Brisbane. Like as you can hear, Nadia is in Sydney, and we've had her phone in. We can make this happen if you want to tell your story. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on 
Twitter sparingly. I hate Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, what else? Is there anything else we need to know about this I mean, podcast? it's on the podcasts are on all the good podcast all the good places. Podcast places. I mean, Subscribe, rate, review. Yeah, if you think that more people need to hear stories to make them feel like they're not alone, please tell us that in a review. I have been Liz Best here with... Tom Harris. And still. Nadia Bacodi. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nadia. Till next time. Thank you. Can a song just objectively be bad? Yes. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from it. I'm Alex Smith. And I'm James Keogh. And on our new podcast, My Songs Suck, we talk to writers and musicians who share with us some of their earlier, less good content and reflect on how far they've come. If you want to get in on the fun, head to That's Not Canon Productions or find us on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever podcatcher you use. My Songs Suck, because everyone makes mistakes. Just make sure you record them. That's Not Canon Productions podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There are known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. But there are also unknown knowns. The ancient and esoteric order of the Jackalope is a secret society devoted to unearthing and sharing this forgotten knowledge. Each episode, we take one of these strange stories and share it with you. No topic is off-limits, except for the obvious. Available wherever fine podcasts are sold.